0: Well, it's good to be back with you all. Kirby is traveling. He's asked me to teach, I think, the next three weeks. Now, we're going to continue in our uh, discussions, our, our lessons in 1 Corinthians. I feel a little bit at a disadvantage picking up in chapter 2 because I've missed the very important section of chapter 1.5, so to speak, the second half of chapter 1. Uh, just by way of orientation before we begin, uh, who who can tell me broadly what is the problem that Paul is immediately addressing in this kind of first section of his letter? Divisions, factious divisions, quarrels, uh, these sorts of uh, uh these sorts of things. People are fighting. They're saying, I follow Paul, I follow uh, Cephas, I Paul follow Apollos, uh, and, and Paul is addressing this issue of factions uh by pointing people to Christ. That's going to be time and time again his solution to all the various occasional issues that he's addressing in this letter. Uh, he's going to point them to Jesus. That's, that's the solution. It seems maybe like an obvious thing, uh, maybe a, too easy of a, an answer, uh, but it doesn't matter whether it's factions in the church or sexual morality in the church uh, or any other issue in the church. Uh, the answer is always like Sunday school, right? It's Jesus, and he's going to apply that in a different ways, Uh, one of the ways he applies it here as he's addressing this issue of factions is to give us something of a uh, short, principled introduction uh, to the nature of preaching. Uh, That might seem strange to us, but when we think about what we know about some of these individuals like Paul and Apollos, uh, I think we, we can make sense of that a little bit. Uh Apollos was known as being a, a very gifted preacher. Uh, and Paul was known, really frankly, it kind of surprises us when we realize this, but Paul was not known as a great preacher. He was a man of, uh, of kind of mean stature and mean in speech. And sure, his letters were strong, but uh, as far as his preaching was concerned, uh, he was, it seems, uh, at some level, uh, despised. And so he's answering this issue of, uh, of, of factions, by treating the issue of preaching, because at the end of the day, Paul's point is the preacher is not who matters. It doesn't matter whether you you were converted under the ministry of Paul, or if you were converted under the ministry of Apollos or of Cephas. It doesn't matter who baptized you. What matters is who have you believed on. And so Paul is giving us some some principles here, and what you dealt with last time, uh, I suspect, uh, was some of that contrast, the, the the wisdom of the world contrasted with the folly of preaching. Uh, and Paul now moves into sort of a, a personal discourse now in chapter 2. We're going to talk in uh, just a moment about verses 1 through 5 is what we'll deal with today. But Paul's basically saying those principles that I've just de- dealt with, uh, the, the the folly of, of wisdom the, the, uh, or the folly of preaching, uh, I myself internalized and uh, demonstrated those same principles in my ministry to you. So let's read the, the scripture uh, First Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 and then we'll discuss uh, some of its parts. And I when I came to you brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. And so if I were to highlight a few verses, I think, that characterize uh, the immediately preceding context uh, look with me at verses, uh, seven, verses 17 in chapter 1. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Again, uh, he says in 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved by it, it is the power of God. Uh, and then again in 23, he says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Again, it's the, it's the wisdom of the world contrasted with the folly of preaching. And Paul is saying, I was no different when I came to you. Uh, my ministry is, is of a certain character. My preaching had a certain content. And he's going to tell us explicitly what those things are. So in the first two verses, we have the, the content of Paul's preaching. In the next two verses, we have the character of Paul's preaching. And then finally in verse five, we have something of the motive Of Paul's preaching. Why does he pursue the ministry in the manner that he pursues it? Uh, I want us to look first at those first two verses. And when I came to you brothers, and I when I came to you brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So quick question in the overall ministry of Paul uh, when did Paul first come to the Corinthians? Anybody know? We think about the narrative of Luke, Acts. It, the first half is covering sort of Peter's ministry in Jerusalem. And then the second half is covering Paul's ministry. If we look at Acts, it's in Acts 18 uh, that we read of Paul first going. That's when he came to them, Acts 18 is where we find a record of Paul's first ministry to the Corinthians. (coughs) Excuse me. Acts 18, he's left Athens. Uh, He's come, he's met Aquila and Priscilla, the tent -tent makers. Uh, He's laboring there, and he's a little bit discouraged. Uh, But what was that word of encouragement God gives him? I have many people in this city. Right? Uh, this is an encouragement God gives to Paul. Things don't seem to be going well. He's been driven out of the synagogue into the, the neighboring house, uh, and, and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's laboring among the Corinthians. And it doesn't seem that he's having a lot of success. And then Paul says, or uh, God says to Paul, "I have many people in this city." Uh, this is when Paul first came. Uh, he mentions some of his weakness, his affliction, which he comes out again in chapter two. And we'll talk about in a minute. But when he came to the Corinthians, it was a second missionary journey, right? He's been all over, uh, you know, the, the, the Roman Empire, so to speak. Uh, and now he's come to the Corinthians. He's now left, and he's having visited them, having labored there, I think, a year and maybe six months, something like that. Uh, he is uh, writing them a letter to address these concerns that have been reported to him uh, as we were given in our introduction. All right, and so he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God, with lofty speech and wisdom. So again, we see that contrast, right? Uh, there's this, this proclamation of the testimony of God, this message which has its origins from God. It's not a message made up by men. It's a message that is about God. It's not a message that's about Paul. Uh, this is what he's been proclaiming, and he's doing so. He uses, he uses a series of, throughout this, this whole section, a series of points and counterpoints. He's making contrasts. He says, I, I've not done this, Uh, with lofty speech or wisdom. Anybody want to venture a guess as to what Paul means by lofty speech or wisdom in the context of Corinth? Anybody have a a favorite uh, public speaker, maybe a a celebrity, a politician, a news pundit? Anybody? Yeah? Somebody volunteer a name for us. Hmm? Winston Churchill. Now, now, what was it about Winston Churchill that was appealing to you? Logic. Yeah. He was never wavering from the point. Yeah, yeah. Logic. Not a good speaker. Mm-hmm. You know, lives. Yeah, yeah. He never wavered from the point. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And this is this is maybe a a, a contrast to what we see in Corinth. He uh, said it's, it's the logic of it, right? It's, it's, it's this well-ordered argument that is on point. Uh, are all public speakers like that? No. Uh, what, what do we see broadly? I mean, anybody who's been into an evangelical church in the last 20 years, what do you typically get in, in preaching? Oops. Jokes? Oops. Stories? Personal anecdotes? Uh, this is sort of what is appealing to our culture, nowadays. It's the the narrative, right? It's it's storytelling, it's being uh, kind of uh, accessible, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, In Corinth, they valued uh, persuasive, clever arguments. Uh, You know, we have the the sort of derogatory term, right? Uh, Somebody's a sophist. What does that mean? It means, well, they win arguments at all costs, not by logic, but by clever argumentation, uh, by the employing of uh, sophisticated, plausible words, which Paul's going to get in a minute, uh, what was appealing to the Corinthians was this sort of high, elevated speech, wisdom, philosophy, that sort of thing. And Paul's point, he's hes not an orator. Paul's not an orator. Preaching is not oration. Paul's point is uh, uh, that he wasn't relying on uh, lofty speech, you know, appeals to authority from quoting ancient authors, uh, clever arguments, these sorts of things that go along uh, with public discourse in in the Corinthian mind. He says, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He's not ornamenting the message that was given to him by God with the things of this world. Uh, In Corinth, it would have been a certain set of Things ornamentations that he would have included if he wanted to be appealing or popular uh, in his uh, his preaching uh, in America. We have our own things. We usually don't go for you know logic on fire. We usually don't go for the main point. It's a, we, we, we want a great deal of pathos, right? So we think of the rhetorical categories of of logic and pathos and ethos, right? And what's really popular nowadays is emotional appeal and personal experience, which is why you see a lot of personal anecdotes and storytelling in preaching. And Paul is telling us that he didn't add these sorts of things, whatever was appealing. We just got back from Oxford, as I mentioned before, and I think, what... what?" If we were surveying Oxford and trying to figure out what sort of preacher would we put in a place like Oxford, this elite, educated city, well, surely it would need to be somebody who you know, was a graduate of Oxford, right? Somebody who's got multiple PhDs, somebody who's you know, familiar with all the, the latest of uh, science and philosophy and all the wisdom of Oxford, uh, somebody who could kind of you know, you know, interact in that environment because he's of that environment, and Paul's essentially saying, well, that's worldly thinking, Uh, He is one who has come with a message from God and he's not here to ornament it with all the other things of the world. Now, That's not to say there's not a place for poetry, there's a place for quotations and sermons, these sorts of things. But it's not what Paul is depending on. His message is a testimony. Bill's a a prosecutor, uh, not a persecutor, but a prosecutor, right? Bill, what's the purpose? (laughs) Bill, what's the purpose of testimony? In a a legal case. The purpose of testimony is to provide evidence, uh, whether it be direct or circumstantial, to aid the fact finder in determining an issue. So evidentiary. Its purpose is evidentiary. Now sometimes you get people telling lies, I'm sure. But in this case, it's it's simple enough to leave it at evidentiary. The purpose of Paul was to, to come proclaiming a testimony. He did have a testimony. He had a, a witness to, to bear concerning the message he received from the God the Father. Uh, you can see in his conversion account something of that. He wasn't an eyewitness, but uh, Jesus supernaturally uh, revealed himself to Paul on the Damascus road uh, and told him what he was to do. Paul, as an apostle, was bearing testimony, evidencing, proving, demonstrating uh, that these things were true. And so, without ornamentation, he wasn't adding to it. Verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Who, who can tell me about Paul's education? Gamaliel. And who is Gamaliel? Yeah, one of the most elite of the elite Jewish rabbis. Did, did Paul have a good education, you think? Yeah, he had a very good education. He wasn't ignorant. He wasn't some backwoods guy who legitimately didn't know anything about anything living under a rock. No, he was highly educated. And so we might pause at a verse like verse two, for I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and then crucified, and we might wonder. I the Yeah. Yes, he was highly educated he was a Pharisee of Yeah. He was a disciple. Amen. Amen. And that's how he saw his life mm-hmm. he it. Yeah. You know yeah. That's absolutely right. The the important word I think in verse two is is the verb. I decided. It wasn't that he was ignorant, but he was resolved, right? He was resolved to know nothing but Christ. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And by that, he doesn't mean that, well, he I don't know anything about the resurrection. I don't know anything about his righteous life. I don't know anything about his death or burial. Uh, he, he, he's using this, this phrase, Jesus Christ and him crucified, to refer uh, to the whole of Christ's life and work, right? Uh, but there is a central priority uh, of the crucifixion. And why might that be? In the context of folly and wisdom, the strength and the weakness that's being contrasted in uh, chapter one, why does why does Paul zero in on the crucifixion? Why is that how he decides to to label the whole of Christ's work centrally? It is one of crucifixion. Sacrificial love, yeah, sacrificial love. Certainly, that's a part of it. It's the atonement, right, and. Uh, In in the crucifixion, we have not just the the expiating removal of our our sin and guilt, uh, we have the satisfaction, propitiation of God's wrath for sin, and we have all the, the benefits that come along with that, the reconciliation of sinners to God and God to sinners. Every benefit we have is encapsulated in this crucifixion. But I think the reason Paul is highlighting the crucifixion in particular As the sort of crowning part of Christ's work is because it's folly, because it's shame, because it's weakness. You know, there's a very real sense in which Christians worship a man who was once a corpse on a cross. You know, we we might think of the people we respect in life strong leaders, successful, powerful, well educated. Those with influence. And yet, our God is one who suffered in the most despicable way one might suffer in Roman society, one who was crucified. And so, Paul's point is this is what the gospel's about at the end of the day. It's not wisdom, it's not lofty speech, it's not the things that are appealing to the world. It's the exact opposite. It's the lowly, the shameful. It's a message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified and dead. And He's resolved to know nothing except for this. I wonder if we have that attitude in our engagements uh, in conversation with other folks. Not to say we can't know anything about our other vocations, right? Uh, you know, if you're a lawyer, you need to know about law. If you're a doctor, you need to know about medicine. And you need to stay abreast of those fields of study. Uh, but when it comes to our witness of Christ, are, are we satisfied with a witness of, uh, of this kind of foolishness, uh, of, of crucified God? Or are we trying to make Christianity something more palatable for our culture? something that has all the trappings of a, a well-educated society in Oxford, perhaps, or in Greenville, maybe something that's very moral, Whatever is appealing uh, to our culture. We're trying to add things uh, to our testimony, uh, whatever that might be, uh, maybe. I think in, in, in American Christianity, that's largely uh, uh, practical self-help, right? It's this, this this emphasis of the the practical benefits of Christianity. If you follow Jesus, you'll be a better father, a better mother, you'll be a better employee, uh, those sorts of things. That's not to say those things aren't true. There are parts of the gospel that have bearing on those things. But how, how are we selling Christianity, so to speak? Is it first and foremost Christ Jesus crucified? Or are we trying to make it more appealing? We need to ask ourselves that in our own personal witness Paul decided to know nothing among the Corinthians except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that is the content. The content of Paul's message is a testimony from God and about God. It concerns Jesus Christ, as person, fully God and fully man. It concerns his crucifixion and all that that entails, expiation, propitiation, reconciliation, all the benefits that flow from that of adoption, justification, sanctification. Paul's going to talk about all those things. The gospel really is a very broad thing in that respect, but it all centers on the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the content But I think especially in this passage we see something next of the character of Paul's ministry preaching. Verses 3 and 4. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power. And start with the first part of that, and I was with you in weakness. What's Paul talking about here? It's possible he's referring to his physical ailment. Uh, some commentators go that way. Uh, he had some sort of sickness, some sort of disease, something that was physically disturbing him. Uh, but I think in the context here, it's more appropriate that we understand that Paul's weakness here has to do with his his, his disposition in gospel ministry. He's not coming as somebody in his own strength. He's not coming as somebody in his own self-confidence, whether in his learning or otherwise. Uh, see plenty of people in pulpits in America today who are exactly what the world might expect uh, of somebody who's up front. Uh, People who are articulate and well-educated. They have diction and poise, and uh, they know how to kind of keep a crowd running, Right? Uh, they're funny, they're charismatic. Uh, they they know how to, uh, to affect emotional responses in people by the power of their words. Paul says he comes in weakness. Paul says he comes in much fear and trembling. I don't know how many of you have ever stood behind a pulpit, but I'm sure all of you have done some public speaking at some level. Anybody ever get the shakes a little bit, a little bit nervous? When they're up front. Yeah, most of us. That's a natural response, uh, a nervousness that comes with public speaking uh, that's appropriate, um, even more so in the pulpit. You're addressing people with eternal souls, and there are immortal consequences. The message we bear is not a a message we've made up, but we are delivering uh, the message which has been given us by a king, does a, does a herald have the liberty to just kind of riff? Just kind of make it up, You know, maybe change a couple facts to make it more you know, improved? No. Uh, a herald is responsible to bear witness using the testimony that's been given to him. I'm not going to say verbatim. That's not quite right. But he's not at liberty to change things. Uh, he is a messenger. Uh, a herald's not a a high-ranking person, right? He's not the king himself. He's down here. That's the nature of the preaching ministry for Paul. He's not afraid uh, because of the people he's addressing. He's not afraid of men. I think of all the people. You know, some of us are afraid of men. Paul's not afraid of men. I think you, you, you look at his life and ministry. Here, here's a here's a bold man who, in a lot of respects, is fearless. But he, he's afraid in this sense. He's weak and in fear and in much trembling in this sense. So he understands the seriousness of his call as an apostle, as a preacher, as one bearing a message which is not his but God's. One that has eternal significance in the souls of men. That is the, the weakness Paul is talking about here. Maybe here is a good place to pause and reflect and ask ourselves, what does this have to do with me? Anybody else here, a preacher? I know we've got a handful of people who have seminary degrees that I'm still discovering. Yeah, we've got you know, people who've preached before. But what does this mean for the ordinary Christian? Ask yourself this. Why are you here at this church? What, what has attracted you uh, to this particular church? You come here, you hear preaching Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Is it because Dr. Phillips is a great rhetorician? Is it because he has the funniest stories and the best jokes? Or maybe he has really great historical anecdotes? If that's why you're here, you need to repent. There are a lot of people who follow, well, we live in a celebrity Christian culture, don't we? And I mean, I'm thankful for men like R.C. Sproul and John Piper or Paul Washer, these great preachers. What makes them great is not all these other things they're adding to the gospel. Uh, In fact, I'd argue it's the exact opposite. It's exactly what we see here. What makes great preachers great preachers, rightfully so, is the plainness of their preaching, a plain style, clearly laying forth the plan of salvation that God has set before them to proclaim. That's what makes great preaching. I think that's what makes great preaching here at 2nd. It's not for all the rhetorical trappings, not the lofty speech, the eloquent wisdom. It's because every Lord's Day you come here and the scriptures are opened and they're read and the meaning is explained and Christ is proclaimed and he's exhibited before all of our eyes. We know his person and his work and we're being encouraged by that and we're being saved by that. That's what makes great preaching. That's why you should be here. That's why anybody should be at any church. Because the preacher's no one. The preacher's weak. The preacher is trembling. It's the thing he preaches, the person he preaches. It's Christ and Him crucified. But is there any other denomination that is rooted? Well, the good part of our denomination, not the other part. <laughs> but I know, church, so yeah. I don't know that, yeah. the Baptist Church I do not too that, that's Jesus of the Expositional and long preaching, long, yeah. Long, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that, that um, is if we're going to characterize the preaching at second, and I think the biblical mode of preaching, it's expositional preaching. There are other denominations that do that, or at least other men in other denominations that do that. Uh, but certainly that is one of the distinctives uh, generally considered in the PCA as an emphasis. This is something that Presbyterian and Reformed people in particular are very passionate about, is to take a text and to read it and to explain it, uh, because the text is what tells us about Jesus and uh, of his his person, of his work. Uh, the other model of sort of you know just telling stories and trying to hook into some biblical principle, so popular in many other churches, non-denominational, Baptist or otherwise, um, certainly we would not be for that. But there, are, there are, is expositional preaching in other denominations. We don't have a, a complete um, you know, monopoly on that. Now, before we conclude, and I've got to end us a little bit early because I've got to go preach at the Oaks uh, here, our nursing home ministry, in a minute, so you'll have some time for fellowship afterwards. But I want to make sure we've talked about the content of Paul's message, Jesus Christ and him crucified, his person, and his work. We've talked about the character of Paul's ministry. It's, it's done in weakness and fear and trembling. It's not about him. It's about Jesus, who he proclaims. Finally, I want us to look at something of the motive of why. Why does this matter? We've already applied this in terms of why you come to this church in particular, perhaps. But there's also a more personal, relevant application, perhaps a more important application. That's found in verse 5. That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In other words, why have you believed? You come to church, you sit under the preaching of the word, you've been baptized, you partake in the Lord's Supper, you try to live as a Christian. Why? For what reason? Paul says that the reason why it's so important that our faith rests in the preaching of Christ and him crucified and not in the wisdom of men. That, 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 sorry, that, that is why. Um, it's in order that this would be the case, that, it, that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men. In other words, if, if what's really won you to the church, so to speak, you know, what, what, what you win them with, you win them to, right? If what you've been won with is clever argumentation or fun storytelling even community, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, Churches try to win people through all different manners, all sorts of things. Uh, If you've been won, so to speak, to the church because of anything except for Christ, well, then you've been won to exactly that, the visible church and not to Christ. Your faith, if it's going to stand on Christ, that's going to be rooted in Christ, if Christ is going to be the object of your faith, that's what you need to be hearing about, who you need to be hearing about. Uh, if there was a situation in which a, a popular public speaker was able to convince you by clever argumentation, and then somebody came along on the opposite side of the theological fence and started to make better, more clever arguments, well, then where would you be? Well, you would follow the next best thing, always being tossed to and fro like a wave in every wave of doctrine. But if your faith is founded upon, if it's resting upon Jesus Christ and him crucified, then you will not be so. People come along. Now there are plenty of better public speakers than Dr. Richard Phillips. I, I love the preaching here. But when it comes to, you know, interesting, like, very like engaging styles of speech, there are a lot of fine rhetoricians in this world, a lot of great public speakers. I think even, I mean, I'm going to maybe upset some people. I remember when I was in college, Barack Obama, I thought was a very good public speaker, certainly better than what we have presently. Uh, there are lots of great public speakers in America and in the world. And if what we're being won to is just their ability to speak well, we're really on very shaky ground. It's very dangerous. And so we need to firm, find our, our, our faith firmly planted on that thing which does not change you know, uh, I think even about our, our assistant minister Jeff went, right? Very capable preacher. If we were coming here because we like Jeff's preaching, if we were following Jeff because he was a great preacher and then suddenly with a stroke unable to preach, where would that leave us? Preachers come and go. This church has had several preachers. I've had several preachers myself. They come and they go. One thing that's always steady, always reliable, always sure, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let's ground our faith in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for preaching and for the word of the cross. And we acknowledge, Lord, that though it is folly to this world, it is the power of salvation for our souls Lord, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word today as it's been preached this morning and will be preached again uh, this uh, later morning and in the evening. Uh, Would you make effective your word, Lord, as we'll see in the the verses to come and the weeks to come, how utterly dependent are we upon your word made powerful by your spirit. Would you bless your word to our hearts today? Would you bless your word such that it bears fruit in our lives? Help us to live as those who are rooted and grounded, not upon the shaking sands and the, uh, the changing and fleeting things of this world, but Lord, ground us in Jesus Christ. May He be the object of our faith. We pray it in His name. Amen.